0: Good morning, Boker Tov, and welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today, our weekly study of the Parsha, trying to extract the lessons for our daily lives. I want to thank our generous sponsors, as always, the, sponsor of the Parsha series for the year Becky and Avi Katz, and family loving memory of David Grossman, Becky's father, Lilly Nishma's David Ben Menachem Manish. Thank you so much for your generosity and for your friendship. Also, the Shia this morning is sponsored by Sandy and Sydney Goldschmidt in memory of their parents, HaChavar Ephraim Ben HaChavar Moshe Yehuda. And it's Avram, Basavram, Matasya, Moshe ben Simcha, in honor of their Yurites in the month of Adar. This week, she is also dedicated to Eddie Braun on her birthday by her grand by her children, grandchildren, and Baruch Hashem, her great-grandchildren. They wish her many, many more, and we wish her many more healthy and happy years. Admea V esrem What a beautiful, beautiful sponsorship. What a beautiful, beautiful brocha. And Amir Hashem, it should fully come true. We have the privilege this week of learning together, Parshas. Ki Sisa, page 484, in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. And Parshas Ki Sisa, we now transition. We've gone through the story of the development of the birth of a Jewish family. We've gone through the birth of a nation who emerged from Egypt. We received the Torah. We then put the Torah into practice and applied it with the detailed laws of Parshas Mishpatim. Truma and Titsava introduced us to the concept of the Mishkan of creating a house for Hashem. And now we get into trouble. For the first time, the Jewish people really get into trouble. Of course, our parsha contains within it the Azov. But before we get to the Egel, by Moshe, more God speaks to Moshe saying, Hashem said, When you take a census. It's time for another census of the Jewish people. We know, we've seen, Hashem loves the Jewish people. And how do you express affection for that which you love? You count it, you review it. Some people know their stock portfolio. Some people know their real estate holdings. Some people know sports scores. Some people know their grandchildren's names and birthdays. We count and we review that which we have the most love and the most affection for. And so Rashi tells us that Hashem continues to uh, continuously... Counts the Jewish people. The Eshtomed. We begin with the Eshtomed. The great Rav Yisrael Mayor, Druck. We're going to do several beautiful pieces in the Ishtamid. Kisisos Rosh Bnei Israel. So the Pesach describes, how was the census done? Zeyitnu, everybody gave. Kol HaOver. I'm on the second Pesach. The Pesach gives Gimel. Zeyitnu kol HaOver. Pukidim haChatzis HaShekel B'Shekel HaKodesh. Esvim Gera HaShekel Truma LaShem. This they give Everybody who is included, everybody who's passing through the census, a half shekel of the sacred shekel. The shekel is twenty gerah. Half a shekel as a portion to Hashem. Rashi here on the spot tells us. <laughs> Moshe said, "I don't know what you're talking about. How do I do this census?" What are you talking about, a half shekel? What does it look like? How does it feel? I don't know what you're talking about. So Hashem gave him a vision. Hashem showed him. You don't know what I'm talking about. Here is a half shekel on fire. And Hashem said to Moshe, Kaze yitnu." You see this half shekel? You see this coin on fire? That is what they are to give. That is the instruction you are to give them. So one does Rav Juk, Yesh La'ayin, Bishlam ha-maisa menoram so the menorah was made out of his fashioned out of one piece. So I understand it was difficult. It had a very intricate, detailed uh, form. And I understand Moshe was confused. What exactly should it look like? And how exactly do I make it? So Hashem had to give him the architectural plans. Hashem had to show him an example of what it meant. But this its a coin. Who hasn't seen a coin? Who hasn't interacted or transacted with a coin? What was exactly the source of Moshe's confusion and how was that confusion solved by Hashem showing him the image of a coin and a coin on fire. Veniro Levar and Cesarev drew the following. Listen to this lesson. Moshe wasn't confused. What does a coin look like? Anyone who's been alive knows what a coin looks like knows how to transact with a coin. What was the source of Moshe's confusion? Moshe says, I don't understand. I don't understand, God. You're telling me that the Jewish people, they're giving this half coin is kopher nafsho. It's going to redeem their soul. Why does a soul need to be redeemed? Because the soul has made mistakes. We're all human and we make mistakes. We've come up short We failed Hashem, we failed the people around us, we failed ourselves. And we need to redeem ourselves, we need to believe in ourselves, we need to atone for those mistakes, we need to pledge and promise and come back better than ever. So says Moshe, someone who in fact has made mistakes and somebody who needs to repair and return from those mistakes, a half shekel, you pay your way, a coin, what is so special, what is so magical about this coin, says Moshe, how does that work? Kofer nafsho To redeem the soul? To atone for mistakes? A coin? It's the same half shekel for everyone. How could it be? Are you telling me that Sadik the righteous person, needs the same redemption as the wicked? The person who fails infrequently needs the same opportunity for repair as the person who can never get it right? How could it be the same half coin that our parsha continues by telling us the wealthy can't give more and the poor don't give less? You're not allowed. It's the only appeal ever. BRS Global campaign, still going, give whatever you want. There is no minimum. Give a dollar, we're grateful for your partnership. Give a million dollars, we'll never cut you off. What kind of campaign is this that you're not asking for more or less? And how does it work? How can everyone give equal when we haven't equally led the same lives or made the same mistakes? Ukidvarma lalla medukta be so seserov druk look at the Medrish Tanchuma. kema shshama moshe oh page kema shshama moshe amar kolashle Tain bad enough show uvizenes kashle her machts shakish gofer nafsho how does it redeem the soul and how does everyone get an equal redemption so here is the answer herelo akalish borchumat beishal Externally, superficially, it looks like everyone's giving the same half shekel. But what is the fire? What is the bren? What is the energy that you bring with it? There's the external superficial act of but then there's the intent. Then there's the passion. Then there's the mindfulness and the concentration and the intentionality. What do you bring with it? And that's what Hashem was showing Moshe. He says, Moshe, all Kla Yisrael have the same Taryag mitzvos. And all Klah Yisrael have the same macht Tz And all people, no matter how righteous, no matter how wicked, no matter what level they're on, no matter who they are, we are bound by the same external actions. But you know what differentiates us? You know what makes us unique and distinct from one another? You see this coin that's on fire? What is the fire you bring? Are you ice cold? Are you extinguished? Are you casual? Are you distant? Or are you on fire? Do you care deeply? Are you passionate? Do you invest and give your all? That's the Kofir show. What Hashem was showing Moshe was, the Kofr and Abshur, the redemption of the soul, doesn't come from the half shekel. That's the manifestation of the external act. Where does it come from? The ish Matpeh HaShel ish. What is the fire that you bring? Where we give our soul is not in the money. That's giving our bank account. Where we give our soul... And when we give our time, and we give our resources, when we give our soul, is what we put of ourselves in it. That's the Machzah Sheka, which is kofar Nafshel. Rav Druk doesn't quote this, but the same can be said when we read the parsha Sanisiyam, the story of the princes of the Jewish people, who seemingly all brought the exact same sacrifice. We read this on Hanukkah. They all, when they erected, when they celebrated the inauguration of the tabernacle of the Mishkan, they all brought the exact sacrifice. Parshas Naso. And yet the Torah goes out of its way to tell us over and over, 12 times, it repeats the same passage. Painful on the ears, painful on the Shabbos morning. You're listening 12 times to the same paragraph, the only difference is the name. And why couldn't the Torah have simply said, this was the korban of the Naseem? these are the sacrifices that each of the princes brought, times 12, here are their names, they each brought the same one, terribly inefficient to take up so much space in the sacred Torah to repeat over and over and over again. And the commentators explain, yeah, on the outside, superficially, it looks like they're going through the same act. But you know, each one brought a different piece of themselves. Each one dedicated, different, invested, whether they were on fire. Look around the shul, look around the community. And we're all operating out of the same sitter. We're saying the same words of the same Shemona Esrei but not everybody in the room is davening the same. So externally, you're giving the half shekel. Externally, you're giving the same amida. But what fire do you bring? Is it a little spark barely holding on? Is it a raging fire? And that's what Hashem was showing Moshe. The Madbeya shel ish. Here is a coin on fire. Because it's not about the coin, it's not about the act. It's about you. What part of your neshama, how sincere, how mindful, how invested are we in what we're doing? And whether it's davening, whether it's Torah learning, whether it's the mitzvahs, talas, tefillin, candlelighting, we just had Purim listening to the Megillah, Mishloch Manos, are we going through external acts, mindlessly putting a check mark when we're done? Or is the Ramad Be'a Eish, are we on fire? Are we invested in drawing close to Hashem? Are we transforming ourselves? Are we trying to operate in this world and to live and to extract the most meaning from it? How present are we and how on fire are we? But there's a second interpretation of Druk has. And I love it. Listen to this. Zei says Rashi, shel that Hashem showed Moshe the image of a coin on fire. Knew, this is what you need to give. Ma remez shel eish? What is the illusion? What is the hint? What is the deeper message? We just said one. Here's number two. You ready? You ready? A person should never hesitate to give tzedakah because I have a finite resources. Money is a finite commodity. If I have X in my bank account and I give you part of X, I have X minus what I gave you. So a person might hesitate. A person might resist giving tzedakah because they think if I share, if I give, there's less for me. So Hashem's answer is no. Kazei You see this fire? You know, an amazing quality of fire, you take a candle, you take a torch, you take fire and you can light an infinite number of other fires without diminishing the original fire at all. Take that candle, take that light, take that fire and light everyone and everything around you and the original candle is burning as bright as it was. It's not depleted, it's not diminished at all. And that's what Hashem was telling Moshe. When you're talking to a people and they're hesitant and they're resistant and they think, my resources, they're finite. If I share, if I give, if I partner, if I invest, there's less for me. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. Show them a coin on fire. And like fire, let them realize that for Hashem there's infinite resources. Just like fire is an indispensable Commodity, we need fire in order to create energy, fire gives light, fire gives warmth, fire is critical. We can cook with it and we can warm ourselves up. Ask the people of Texas how important fire is. But it can also destroy, it can burn, it can consume. Money. This is the mission statement about money. Hashem says contribute and donate to the building of the Mishkam, or contribute and donate to a census to be counted, but you need to be acutely aware of the potential of money. Money like fire. Fire can create, illuminate, warm, bring energy. Fire can consume, it can destroy, it can obliterate. Well, here is a fourth interpretation person says to themselves, I'm giving such a negligible amount. Yeah, I'm a member of the BRS Global Community because I appreciate and enjoy what they offer. All I can give is a dollar. So why bother giving the dollar? It's humiliating, it's negligible, it's nothing. No, every dollar counts. You don't know which dollar puts it over the top. And where do you see that in a fire? Because a little spark can launch a fire that rages. A tiny spark can launch a fire that obliterates and destroys, or that creates and warms, it begins with a tiny thing that turns into something great, and the same is true with tzedakah. So we saw from Rav Druk, four answers to the question. Moshe didn't know, Zayat knew, what are you talking about? Hashem, everyone should give a half shekel, that's a kofar naf show that will redeem the soul. Hashem, what are you talking about? Hashem showed him a coin on fire. How did that answer? What did Moshe not understand? And in what way did Hashem help? Says Rav Druk. Moshe didn't understand, Kofar, nafsho. how do you redeem your soul? And how is everyone redeemed equally when they're all different? The answer is, it's not about the coin, it's about the fire, the bread, it's about the energy and the enthusiasm and the passion that you bring to it, number one. Number two, just like fire is not depleted or diminished when it's shared, so to our resources Hashem can replenish and restore, we are not at all diminished when we give what we have. Number three, Just like fire is double-edged, it can create or destroy, so too money can be used constructively or destructively. And lastly, number four, just like a tiny spark, a little bit of fire can grow and rage, so too that one dollar, that little bit of money, can be the thing that puts it over the top four beautiful insights of Rav The Orchai Makadosh is bothered by something else. We go back to our Mikros Gedolos. It's been a while since we've been in the Mikros Gedolos. This Parsha shir originally began small group of people sitting around a table. We would explore certain psukim in the Parsha and see the Meforshim in the Mikros Gedolos, the Rambam, the Ibn Ezra, Rashi, the Balaturim, the Kliyakr, the Orachaim. How did they all see it differently? And it grew Baruch Hashem into the Parsha shir we have today. Let's go back to our roots and look at an Orachaim. So the Orachaim wonders, we're taking a census and what does one do when they take a census? They count. So, what word should the Torah use to introduce the taking of this census? A word that's reflective of counting. But we don't. What word do we use? Kisisa Ezrosh. Sarah ibn says, <laughs> Sarah Ladas, we have to wonder. Tam omro tisa velo amar tifkod. Why do we say lift rather than count? We're talking about a census a census doesn't include lifting anything other than a clipboard so why do we describe a count as lifting rather than counting it says lift the head according to the count so which is it are we lifting are we counting What's going on over here? Listen to this Orachayim. The Orachayim Kaddosh says, Because When a person makes a mistake, when a person gives into the animal instinct, the animal impulse, the animal in us, when a person is drawn to the type of the desire, the temptation of this world, of the physical, of the material, we hang our head. Think about it in the vernacular, we describe it that way. The posture of the person who has failed, who's made a mistake, who feels guilt or shame, the posture of such a person is to hang their head. K'fifas <speaking in> rosh. <Hebrew> we look down. sarama <speaking in Hebrew> tabit We feel low. And when we feel low, we look down. We feel we've failed our spiritual ambition. We're no different than an animal, so we look to the ground. rosh <speaking in> ha <Hebrew> So you know what holiness is. You know what it means to be counted is to lift your head, lift your head, hold your head high, to say something encouraging that will help someone else lift their head. That's what we are as human beings. He continues the Archaim. and he says that's why. He says, animals walk on all four, they look to the ground, they hang their head low, they're material, they're physical, and they make mistakes. But human beings, we have spiritual ambition, we have drive, we have aspiration. We reach and we stretch for the heavens, we walk on two legs, and we hold our head high. And that's what it means. You know how to make somebody count? You make somebody, you lift their head, you lift their spirits, and you make them count. That is what the Orchaim HaKadosh says. Now the Pasha continues. And it tells us, as we said, this is a very unusual appeal. A very unusual appeal. In this appeal, there's an explicit instruction. You cannot give too much. There's an even. Everyone's got to give the exact same amount. You can't give too much. Ha'ashir lo Yarbeh, Pasuk We're still on page 484. Ha'ashir lo Yarbeh, the wealthy cannot give more. lo yamit. And the poor, the indigent, the impoverished cannot give less. From a half shekel, from a half shekel, says Rebbe Melech of Lezinsk, the Rebbe Rebbe Melech. There's an illusion in this Pasuk. We're not just talking about money, and we're not just talking about the census. But listen to what the Rebbe Rebbe Melech said. Somebody who is wealthy in mitzvos somebody who's blessed to have a strong background, somebody who's blessed to have had role models, somebody who's blessed to be spiritually inspired, somebody who's blessed to be passionate and on fire with mitzvos. Don't become arrogant. Don't see yourself as greater. Don't feel inflated. Know that you're a half shekel. You're only halfway there. No matter what you've accomplished, you finished shas for the seventeenth cycle. You gave away the most sukka. You died with the most kavana. You treat people with the most chesed. No matter what you've accomplished or achieved, no matter how great you've become, lo don't, don't become arrogant. Don't let your ego be inflated. is a shekel because you're just still a half shekel. There's still so much to go. Vehadal lo yamit. Adal mitzvah says the Rebbe B'Rebeli Melech. Somebody who's impoverished with mitzvos They don't have that background. They don't yet have that knowledge. They're on a journey to learn, to grow, to do. They're not necessarily feeling at the top of the inspiration of their life. Lo yam'it. Lo yachshev atzmo katon midai roi. Don't diminish, dismiss yourself. Don't see yourself as inconsequential or unimportant. Do not minimize the contribution of what you're doing. So you're not on fire. So you're not maximizing your observance. So you're not yet reaching your potential. Loyamit, the Tao, the one who's not on fire with mitzvos, do not minimize or do not dismiss. Nevertheless, what your contribution means, yeschazik maod Bavodas Hashem, strengthen yourself in the service of Hashem. Of course, this is not the pshat and the pasuk. It's not what the pasuk means. But I love the message of Rebbele Melech, the Rebbe Rebbele Melech of Lezhinsk, who's telling us that Hashir. Wealthy isn't only with money. Wealthy isn't with money. One of my favorite lines. I don't know who said it. Nebuch, there are so are some people so poor, all they have is money. Nebuch, there are people so poor, all they have is money. Wealth can be defined in many different ways. And for this purpose, the Rebbe Rebbe al defines wealth here as mitzvos. So if you're wealthy with mitzvos, you're on fire, you have a great account of mitzvos, lo don't be arrogant, because you're a machatz, a shekel. You're still only a half. But Adal, this is equally important. There are people who feel, you know what? If I'm not doing it all, I might as well do none of it. And if I make this other mistake and I'm so terrible and such a failure, why bother even trying? Hadal Lo Yamit. Even if you're Adalba Mitzos, you're poor, you're indigent, you're impoverished, you're lacking in mitzvos, Lo Yamit. Do not minimize and do not underestimate and do not fail to give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Peraklamid Fazakhalaf. Next page, 486. So we move on. After the census, Torah tells us, we now have the kior. Ah, the kior, the lavern, the laver, the uh, basin where the priests would wash when they entered the holy tabernacle in order to do their service, there avoda. What in the world is it doing here? Where would you have expected it? Back in Parshish Truma. That's where we were given the gift of the different utensils of the tabernacle. We were told about the aron, the ark, and the menorah, the candelabra, and the shulchan, the table. So the cure of the laver belong there, what is it doing here? Why is it out of place? I leave you with that question. We've discussed it in Parshashir in the past. We're not going to look at it again right now. But it continues now with the anointment oil. The anointment oil was that Moshe was going to make this mixture. Moshe was going to create this compound, spices and oil. And it would be used to anoint and to consecrate to uh, invest holiness in these utensils and in the priests who were going to serve in the mishkan. What was involved? Kachlacha l'cha b'samim rosh mar dror is Mordechai chamesh marosh v'kinah m'bessam So and so on and so forth. This mixture and the spices and the fragrances and there's a lot to say here about what is included and what isn't included. But Perak, I'm sorry, I skipped before you get to the oil. Go back to the laver. Perak, uh Paraglamid Pesach 486. I apologize. I want to just say when it's in this pasuk. The laver, the basin that the priests would wash in when they came into the Avodah, says the pasuk. They wash their hands and feet and not die. And this is a decree for them and for their children that will follow. Says the Imrechaim, says the rebbe. says the Vizhna Velo yamusu. yamusu here does not mean physical death. Do you want to achieve immortality? Do you want your soul to be alive? There are people who are dead while they're alive. There are people who continue to live even after they die. How do you remain alive while you're alive, not dead while you're alive? It says the Emrechayim V'rachatzu yidehem v'raglehem v'lo yamusu Targum, the Targum Onkelus translates the word varachatsuy says the Targum, vikadshun vikatsun dehon raglayhon, veloymusun. Varachatsu means to wash. So why is he translating wash as vikatsun to make holy, to consecrate, to make sacred? Says the mehayem, yadem hayno harashus, raglayam hayno haragilus. Yadem your hands mean the optional things that we do. Yaddo rashus your hand is your rashus. Rashus means your, your means within your possession, within your domain. Raglaam, your legs are regilus. The word regilis means a habit, a pattern. If you want to truly live, then don't sleep. Sleep is a portion of death. Now you need sleep. You need a healthy amount of sleep. You need to get the right amount of sleep. But there are people who are lazy and love sleep and sleep too much, and they're sleepwalking through life. They're wasting, they're squandering. You want to conform and create the right habits, holy habits, then be careful Then don't sleep, don't die through your day by overindulging in sleep, which is a portion of death. Perglam in Aleph pasuk Tes Zayin, Lamet Aleph Tes Zayin. Moving right along, we're skipping the incense, and Bezalel is now recruited. Re'ikaras v'Shem Betzalal ben Uri ben Cholimati Yehuda. Why is Bezalel chosen as the architect of the Mishkan? What a unbelievable appointment! What a position of prominence! Hashem says, Va'Amaleo So Ruach Elokim. I'm gonna fill him with a godly spirit, Chokma U'Tvuna Uvedas. This is Chabad, Chochmah, Bina, and Das. Ubuchol Malachah, Betzalah was the first Chabadniker. Chochmah, Bina, and Das. What is the difference? They're all different forms of knowledge. What is the subtle difference? Chochmah, Bina, Das. These seem to be three synonyms that are all describing knowledge. What's the difference between them? Why was it critical for the architect of the Mishkan? What is the philosophy of the Balatanya and Chabad? We've discussed this all in a Pashashir in the past. You could find it and look it up there. But we continue the next section. All of a sudden, we're talking about the Mishkan. Hashem has just appointed or recruited its engineer, its architect. We have solicited the donations of the materials. We have defined the dimensions of its utensils. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes Shabbos. Hashem We're on page 490. Perek Pasuk Yud. Baezyid Gimo. Vyata, the Israel ach sosai tishmoru. venechem Hashem says, speak to the children and tell them. Observe my Shab-Sosai. How do you translate the word shab sosai Observe my I would have translated it as observe my Shabbos. but that's not what the word means. What does the word Shab-Sosai mean? Shab-Sosai is plural, it's the plural form. Observe my Shabbos. Why is it observe my Shabbos in the plural? In the plural. So some say it's a Gemara, the Gemara says, Elu, if the Jewish people would only be Shomer Shtei Shabbosos, if we would keep two Shabboses, miyad nigolan, immediately we'd be redeemed. Which two Shabbases? Shabbos Chazon, Shabbos Nachamu, which Shabbos there, Pesach, Shabbos, which two Shabbos? If we would only keep two Shabboses, maybe that's why it's in the plural. Others say that there's a physical Shabbos and a spiritual Shabbos. The Haksava HaKabbalah writes, The Ramban says, you know why it's in the plural? There isn't one Shabbos. There's one Yom Kippur a year. There's one day of Purim a year. There's one Shavuos a year. Shabbos every week. 52 Shabbas's. So Shabbos is Shab-so-sai. Shabbos Osai. is the holiday that's in the plural. All the other holidays are their singular because there's one a year. Shabbos is in the plural, because Shabbos comes every week. That's the Ramban. But the Ksav Kabbalah says no. It means Shabbas Yeshpi Shnaim Bahura also. There are two dimensions of Shabbos. There is the passive, there is the negative. There is no longer working, rest from creative labor, but then there's the result. Shabbos is not just abstaining, refraining from labor, physical and creative. Shabbos is also about introducing something new, an environment, a culture, a climate. Shabbos is about tapping into a Neshama Yisrael, we'll talk more about in a moment. Shabbos is about elevating. Im says the Ksav Kabbalah of Yaakov Mecklenburg, I'm resting my body, I don't go to work, I'm not showering, I'm not driving, I'm not working in the backyard or the field, I'm not connected to the technology. So my body rests, but my soul is also resting and invigorating. There's a menuchas hanefesh. There's a peace of mind and a tranquility. There's the margin and the space to think and to live and to be, to tap into some of the fire that we were talking about with the machzah shekel. And says the Ksav HaKabala, make no mistake, resting your body is not the main reason. Resting your body is not the main goal of Shabbos. It's not all about the physical rest. It's not about how long you can shluff. And about your nap this afternoon, and about how much you can eat and drink and imbibe. Ena dasa nefesh. All of that is a platform to achieve the peace, the serenity, the tranquility of the soul, to spend time with people we love, and to have conversations that we neglect all week long, and to play board games, to sing zmiros, and to laugh. It's all about finding the space for the soul to come back alive, for the soul to expand for the soul to be nourished. And so yes, there is a dual component. We rest the body, and then we get a result of a rested soul. But understand which one is the core, and which one is secondary, says the Ksava Kabbalah. They're intertwined. There's a cause and effect, and you cannot separate them out one from the other. They're really one and the same. Resting and abstaining and refraining from labor and creative labor is the necessary prerequisite. It's what we have to do in order to arrive at a rested soul. And that's why the pasuk transitions. We talk about Shabbos in the singular. It's an oath. It's a sign in the singular, but then we switch to, and we say Shab sai Because there is on the one hand, the singular notion of Shabbos, but it's made up of the integration and the relationship of its two components, of resting the body and resting the soul. And that's what it means, when Chazal say miyad It doesn't mean suggest aksav Kabbalah. We're not talking about two separate Shabbases on the calendar. We're not talking about this week and next, or last week and this. What does it mean when Chazal say, if we would have only observed Shtei Shabbosos miad nigalim, if we'd only observed the two Shabbos, we'd be redeemed, it means if on one Shabbos we'd only experience both parts, there are a world of people, those listening among them, who are Shomer Shabbos. What does it mean that we're Shomer Shabbos? The rules, I don't grind, I don't winnow, I don't plow, I don't plant, I don't cook, I don't use electricity, I don't drive, I don't touch my phone. There's a world of people, but they're only keeping half Shabbos. It's funny, the expression of the term a few years ago of half Shabbos were people who keep Shabbos but can't help but texting. But what comes out of the Ksava Kabbalah is the opposite definition of half Shabbos. The half Shabbos is all you're doing is not texting, but you're not experiencing the other half of Shabbos, which is the soul on fire, the rested soul, the soul with the margin and the space to truly live, to not only disconnect from the wrong things, but to reconnect to the right things. And so the statement of Chazal, that, If only we would keep two Shabbases, it doesn't mean on the calendar two Shabbases. It means in the one Shabbos day, we would be living and tapping into the two components of Shabbos, the redemption that we would feel if we didn't just abstain, we didn't just refrain, we weren't just engaged in the minutia of the laws, but we actually also created the beauty of Shabbos as well. Kiosi, it's a sign. Benechem Says, God, between me and my children, for generations. And to know that I am God who sanctifies. Rav An b'nei Yisrael, says Rav Druk, the Gemara says, ben lakish. We learn from here and those who come on Friday, Fridays, 10 minutes before candle lighting, Boca time, we turn Friday into Erev Shabbos. We have a WhatsApp group. You can wake up every Friday to a short message, an idea that will turn your Friday into Erev Shabbos. We have a WhatsApp group. You can join on the, our website in the WhatsApp section. And we have a shir, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. We listen to a little music, Lakava Shabbos Kodesh to get in the mood. In 10 minutes, a quick nugget, a quick idea, we transform our Friday into Erev Shabbos. So we spent a long time going through 15 interpretations of what it means to have a neshama yeseira. What's a neshama Yesira? Is this some modern neo-Hasidic hibi idea? Maybe. But it also goes back to the Gemara. The Gemara. State in the Gemara. Amar Hashimah ben Lakish. God gives us a soul on Erev Shabbos. Now we have a soul. He doesn't give us a new soul, we have a soul. It's a yesirah. It's an additional. It's an expanded. It's an on fire. It's a soul which is alive. It's a neshama Yesera. All week long my soul is crying for attention. It's crying for help. It's crying for nourishment. But it is neglected because I'm too busy on Netflix too busy going to work, I'm too busy shopping, I'm too busy, too busy, 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 all week long, and the soul's neglected. But Shabbos, I carve out the space, the time, Shabbos, I give it the attention it needs and deserves, and so my neshama is Yaseira, it is more on fire. And then on Shabbos, this neshama is taken from us. And that's why in Havdallah, incorporated into Havdallah, we make a bracha on Besamim, and we smell the Besamim. Hopefully you don't have corona. One of the ways before testing was readily available was all of us on Motzei Shabbos would take in the Besamim, and if you could smell it, you breathed a sigh of relief, you're good to go, another week you were corona-free. So before Besamim was the first, the original, the low-tech corona test, Besamim was there in order to console us from the loss of the Neshama Yisaira. We get the Neshama Yisaira on Erev Shabbos, Hashem takes the neshama Yisaira on Motzei Shabbos to comfort us in the loss of the neshama Yisaira, We we have the besamim. By the way, that's why someone who has yiratzay in the coming week, the minag is they daven Motzei Shabbos before. I yiratzay on Thursday. Why are you davening, leading the davening the Motzei Shabbos before? So I recently heard a beautiful explanation. The yiratzay is the loss of that loved one's neshama. But the Motzei Shabbos before was their last Motzei Shabbos on earth. That was the loss of their Neshama Yaseira. So the Mar of Yudav and Motzei Shabbos before the Yeret site is to observe Avelas, you're grieving the loss of the Neshama Yaseira, even before the loss of when the Neshama left this world. So we're gifted in Neshama Yaseira and Erev Shabbos, an extra soul. And then we lose that extra feeling of soul on Motzei Shabbos. We comfort ourselves with B'samim. Where do we learn this from? How does the Gemara in Beitsa know that there's an Neshama Yisera and why am I talking about it? Parshas Kisisa, because the Gemara learns it from this Pasuk. Our Pasuk says, On the seventh day, Shavas, stop and rest. Vayina fash. says the Gemara. Vayina don't read it Vayi nafash, read it Vay of the nefesh. Woe unto the one who's lost their soul. Oy ala nefesh shaholch says Rashi. By the way, there's a Givaldic Akasha, There's a great question. You get the Neshama Yisera on Erev Shabbos. And how do you get the Neshama Yisera? Through a Pasuk that tells me that I lose it on Motzei Shabbos. On the one hand, there's a logic. If I lost something on Motzei Shabbos, then it means I got it on Erev Shabbos. So that's how I learn it. But shouldn't I have learned it from a Pasuk that specifically tells me that I got something on Erev Shabbos? Wouldn't that have been a much more logical way to learn it? So the answer is no. Only when you've lost something do you really value it. When you understand and you know what you stand to lose, what it means to not have that additional neshama, to go back to turning on your phone, to go back to the troubles and the challenges and the struggles, and to go back to the obligations and the responsibilities and the to-do, only when you lose that serenity, the tranquility, the peace of mind, the joy, the rest of Shabbos, of the neshama yisera, now you can appreciate on Erev Shabbos when you get it. But what is this Neshama yisera? So Rashi writes, Neshama yisera is Your heart is more expanded to rest and to feel joy. Eat and drink and your soul is no end to it. This is the the cliche that many quote, you can't gain weight on Shabbos because you have a Neshama yisera. So you can have Tshelant, Friday night, Shabbos morning. And shabbos at lunch, and shahabishurus, shabbos, and no matter what you eat, no matter how many portions of dessert, no matter how many pieces of challah, you can't gain weight. Why? You have an It is a misinterpretation of this rashi. Rashi is not telling you that you don't gain weight. What rashi is telling you is not that you can eat all you want, but that you have a different type of eating. We spoke about this in the turn Friday into of Shabbos series of shiurim and the various definitions of the Yisera. even then neshama Yisera means you're more calm, you're less likely to get angry. Shama Yisera means that you have greater clarity, you have ability to remember things better what you learn on Shabbos because you're not distracted, you're not fragmented, you're not divided. We shared so many beautiful interpretations. But one of them is on this Rashi and Rav Druk here echoes the same sentiment, which is all week long in the battle between my body and my soul, my body is winning. After all, I'm pampering my body, I'm indulging my body. I'm going to work to earn money to take care of my body. My body is all week long in the driver's seat with my soul. But come Shabbos and my body is at rest. Now my soul is on fire. I have an ashami Seirah. It means I can transform. The soul is now leading the charge for the body. So all week long, I live to eat. Shabbos I eat to live. All week long, my experience of eating is a physical experience. But Shabbos, when I eat, I'm transforming it into a spiritual and religious experience. Some have the minag. I try to With the first bite of each food, L'Kavot Shabbos Kodesh. Now, is it really L'Kavot Shabbos Kodesh? It's L'Kavot Mein Boich. I love Yocheved's cooking. She's the greatest cook on the planet. That is not a platitude. I happen to not be in trouble with her. I'm not saying for any reason other than the truth. She's the greatest cook, and I love all of her food. So it's really for myself. But when you say the words L'Kavot Shabbos Kodesh, pause, you take a moment, a moment of mindfulness, a moment of breaking routine, a moment of interrupting the hedonistic, decadent, indulgent, jumping right into the food. And you say, Shabbos Kodesh. in honor of Shabbos, I'm eating this in a different way than I eat all week long. I'm eating it entirely differently. That's what it means to have a Neshama Yisrael. The Rebbe says, says the Kutskar. The Knesses Shabbos, when Shabbos begins, when Shabbos begins, we start to evaluate my week. Part of going into Shabbos is to think, what was my week like? What did I achieve, and how did I fail? What am I proud of? What am I ashamed of? Says the Katskur, Vai of the nefesh." What does Vai of the nefesh" means? What were the wasted and lost opportunities of the week before? Vayam on the seventh day. Vayyinafash, Vay of the Nefesh. Part of what Shabbos is for, or going into Shabbos is for, is to reflect on the mistakes and where I came up short and what I could have done better. That's what the Slavonic rabbi says, Chayv Adam, an of Shabbos. A person is obligated, Lamash Mesh You have to look at your clothing because maybe you're going to be carrying, maybe there's no of. Make sure you're not violating the prohibition of carrying, says the Slonim Rebbe, To be a bogate is to be rebellious. person has to investigate the rebelliousness. Where did I go wrong? And how did I come up short? And how do I need to be better? I need to investigate my rebelliousness on the way into Shabbos. That's how I earn my Neshama Yaseira. I promise I pledge to be better. I let myself off the hook for Shabbos. How do I have a restful Shabbos? By making amends with myself, by doing a proper review of the week before and pledging and promising how to be better voy of the nefesh and neshama you perak lamid beis pasuk beis moving right along after shabbos after shabbos Oi, perak lamid beis page 492 vayar haamki boshesh moshe laredes now we get to the horrible horrific story of the chayta egel of the chayta egel which we don't have time right now to unpack fully we've talked about it previously what is most meaningful and resonant for me is the interpretation of the Kuzari, Rav Levi, that the Jewish people did not in fact practice infidelity on God. This was not an outright act of idolatry, but rather the Jewish people were used to connecting to God through something tangible. Moshe, that physical, tangible connection, did not return. Their calculation was off. So they built something else that was tangible as a means to connect, not as an alternative to God, but without God's consent, without God's instruction, we cannot manufacture our own way to connect to God. We have to listen to God and His instruction and His direction of how we're meant to connect to Him. So Aaron, how do you understand Aaron's role? The people miscalculate. They think Moshe hasn't returned. They panic. They need another physical, tangible thing through which to connect to the same God. So they build this ego. And Aaron's role seems really incomprehensible. Palsing B'ez. Vayom re'alehim Aaron, parku zahav, Take off your jewelry. Collect the jewelry of your household. And bring it to me. Bring it to me? Is Aaron really the leader? Is Aaron leading the charge of this insurrection to God? Why do we see Aaron as a hero, not a villain? Why do we let Aaron off the hook? Motion is harsh reaction of breaking luchos, why don't we find a harsh or harsher reaction to his own brother? who seems to be leading this insurrection. So says Rabbi Salavichik in, in the OU Rather, Rav Chomesh, listen to the words of the Rav. We may note Moshe and Aaron's different reactions to the golden calf incident. The one denouncing, exhorting, and enlightening, the other working along with the people, procrastinating, hoping against hope to diffuse the frightened and confused masses in time for Moshe's return. Both approaches must somehow be combined. The people must not only be taught by instruction, but also by warm and friendly guidance. Rabbi Salavechik suggests that not only does Aaron not deserve criticism, but Aaron had a very strategic approach, and that we need to learn in our own parenting and leadership styles to combine the approach of Aaron and of Moshe. What does he mean? The king teacher represented by Moshe practices Midas hadin criticizing, exhorting, holding people accountable, transgressions and failures. The Amars, the ignoramus, and the lax are censored. MS truth demands unbending justice. In the eyes of the Isha MS, the man of truth, nothing must be given gratuitously. One must be rewarded according to one's merits. If a person is deserving he should be loved. If he is undeserving, love should be denied him. Any deviation is unpardonable. The sinner is deserving only of reprimand and instruction. The Saint teacher represented by Aaron. Is primarily guided by chesed, limitless compassion and overflowing kindness. The essence of chesed expresses itself in the universality and in its ultimate love, from which no one is excluded. The Ish chesed, the person of unqualified love, does not ask the recipient of his love to present moral credentials. His love is gratuitous as well as boundless. While the king teacher rebukes the sinner in harsh language, the saint teacher sheds a tear of sympathy. The king teacher loudly scorns iniquity, while the saint teacher is saddened by iniquity, speaks softly. The former fights for ms through exhortation and instruction, the latter by reproaching the sinner the way a loving mother approaches a mischievous child. The sermon of the king teacher is often harsh, saturated with prophetic indignation. The sermon of the saint teacher is subdued saturated with prophetic love. He teaches through love and concern. Moshe, says Rabbi Soloveitchik, was the model of the Rav. Aaron of the Rebbe. Moshe was the Kvad Peh, a nonverbal person not given to small talk, easy socializing or extensive negotiations. He was Rabbeinu, a scholar, teacher, uniquely spiritually endowed who communicated tersely with what he had to say. He was teacher primarily to Yahushua, and this is Canaan. The contrast between Moshe and Aaron was noted by the Medsha-Tan, and Shalom is Aaron, Emes and Sedek is Moshe. So by describes that not only is Aaron not to be criticized, not only was Aaron not wrong, But Aaron also represents a very important model. You know, as parents, how do we react or respond when our children have done something wrong or when they come and confide to us about a failure or a struggle? Is it the Moshe, the saint teacher, the judgmental stoop, the harsh criticism? Or is there the saint teacher, the loving, compassionate, soft, non-judgmental there to help? As a rabbi, as a Rav, Rabban and my colleagues, and I deal with this regularly, when the people that we love are precious members, they come and we hope they trust for counsel. Do you react when you hear about a shortcoming or a failure or a gross violation of a boundary or someone's trust with harsh criticism and by knocking them down? Or do we listen non-judgmentally, trying to help and support and turn them around? These two models are the combination of the two, says Reh Salavechik, are the reactions of Moshe and Aaron in combination to the Chet Egel. And neither is exclusively right. What we need is the combination of the two. Moshe comes down and he does something brazen, something bold, something that we have the luxury of retrospect to know that Hashem congratulates him for. However, at the time, could you imagine? Moshe is carrying these luchos, these divinely designed and built tablets. And in a great moment of frustration, he takes them and smashes them to the ground. And he finds out Hashem says, Shkoyach. But until then, you think he took a moment and said, Uh-oh, what did I just do? He smashes them. So in this context, the Torah tells us about these luchos. Wow, these luchos were special. The bottom, page 496, Perak Lamed Beis, chapter 32, verse Tezvav. Moshe turns and he descends from the mountain. And he's holding on to the two tablets. Luchos Mishne These tablets are special. Their writing appears on both sides. u ksuvim. The writing appears on both sides of the tablets. What does that mean to have writing appear on both sides of the tablets? Listen to three interpretations of Ravdruk of the Ishtamid on this Pasuk. Rashi tells us, Mishne Evraim, Zagdrashi. What does it mean that the writing appears on both sides? If you carve something through stone and it goes all the way through to the other side, one side it's going to read straight away and the other side it's going to read backwards, inverted. And that was the miracle of these tablets, that even though the carving of the words was all the way through the stone, it nevertheless read correctly on both sides. How to do that? I can't tell you because man can't do that. That's what made these divine tablets. The Gemara Miguel Dav Gimel, Gemara Shabbos Kof Dalad, tell us something else miraculous about these tablets. Two letters that we have that are carved or engraved all the way through, so you'd expect the middle section to fall out. Moshe takes these tablets and the letter mem, mem sofis, the ending mem. The letters Samach, they are a circle all the way around. So the middle part of the stone should have fallen out, and yet it was Maisanisim was a miracle that that middle section remained suspended. It remained in place. Rabbeinu Bachai writes, "Shayyav Shleikros Haosis the second miracle. You can read it both directions. and wonders, of what is the Messer? What is the message? What is the deeper meaning? that these two letters, that miracle happened. If you're God and you're going to choose and employ a miracle, why is this the miracle? The miracle of Matan Torah, the miracle of Harsinah, is that the middle of the letters, Mem and Samach, didn't fall out? What's going on? So Rav has three suggestions, and I love them all. Number one, number one. There are people who erroneously think they are holding up the Torah. Do we value and appreciate everyone who contributes to Torah? You're giving to a yeshiva, you've endowed a kolel, you've joined the BRS Global Movement, you're donating to whatever cause of Torah learning. It's a beautiful thing. Be proud and you deserve a congratulations on a karasatov, a thank you. But never, ever make the mistake of thinking you are securing the continuity of Torah, that you are holding up Torah. Torah is holding up you. And just like the miracle that these two letters were suspended, these two letters of Torah were held up miraculously, Torah forever is held up miraculously, and it doesn't rely on your help. Yes, we need your help and yes, you should give, and yes, you should partner, and yes, you should invest, but it doesn't rely on us. That's what the Gemara Sotelam and Hei tells us, that the poles that went into the ark were never removed. We spoke about this a couple weeks ago in Parshish Truma. The poles were never removed. Why? Because the Aron carries those who carry it. It's not the people carrying the Aron. It is the Aron who in fact are carrying those people. And that the Chavetz Chaim said is what we mean when we sing, when we put the Torah away. It's It doesn't say It's not a living, a living tree for those who are but We are strengthened. Not that we strengthen it. We're strengthened through it. So the same way that these letters were miraculously suspended, they were preserved, they were upheld. Torah will always be miraculously upheld. Torah is never at the risk of disappearing. Hashem's promise and our prophecy is that Torah will forever be here. So we need the people who contribute. And it's extraordinary mitzvah. Give to your yeshiva and your kollel and your cheder and your day school. Give to the adult education and most of all, give to the BRS Global Campaign. Give, be part, partner, but never take credit or think that you're holding up Torah. Torah is holding you up. That is interpretation number one. Interpretation number two. Says Rav Druk. The fact that you can read it on both sides and it reads the same, means it's an allusion to the idea of the Chacham who needs to be tocho keboro. The Chacham who needs to be the same on the outside and inside, who needs to be consistent all the way through, who's not duplicitous or hypocritical, who's not trying to impress people by being so righteous on the outside, but is rotten on the inside. Or even somebody who's righteous on the inside, but for whatever reason doesn't practice the righteousness on the outside. That a person just like this reads the same in both directions. That person who's a student of Torah has to read the same in all directions. Has to be consistent and has to be constant. Has to be a person whose tocho kaboro, whose insides and outsides match. And number three, says Rav Druck, that there's a miracle. The two, that it reads and due directions means there are two ways to read Torah. Mizhe umzehimsuvim. umizeh from this side and from that side. The written means whether you're looking from the perspective of the revealed Torah, or you're looking from the perspective of the Phnomyasa Torah or the Nistar of Torah, the mysticism of Torah, we have layers of interpretation of Torah. Mizahumzehum It is written from different sides and different directions because we have different interpretations of Torah and they are all equally true. All right, we had several other ideas we wanted to share. The karen or Moshe descends and there's a light that emanates from him. Where did the light come from? The extra ink in the pen? Why did he have extra ink in his quill? Was Hashem off? Was Moshe off? Why was there extra ink? And why does the extra ink translate into his having what many have mistakenly think Jews have horns? Where did they get the image of Jews have horns? From Renaissance art. Renaissance art depicted Jews, Moshe, Moses, Moses with these rays of light protruding from his head, led to the misinterpretation and the misconception that Jews have horns. That Jews have horns. Lift your hat, lift your hat, let me see your horns. We don't have horns. Moshe didn't have horns, but he had karen or. He had rays of light. What are those rays of light? And where did they come from? What does it mean there was extra ink? And why did Moshe not himself even notice it? All will leave for next year. A lot more to talk about if you are listening on YouTube. Which the majority of you are. In fact, we are weaning off of Zoom. If you're listening on Zoom, this is the last week on Zoom. We're no longer going to be broadcasting on Zoom, but exclusively on YouTube and Facebook. If you're listening on YouTube, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll be notified in real time every time we have a class panel conversation or program. Please uh, subscribe on the YouTube channel. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.